Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, welcome along to Writer's Routine. This week, sharing the story of her working day, we've got Shari LaPena, the crime and psychological thriller author. Uh, She's just published her fourth book, It's Someone We Know, uh, and her first three, particularly her first, uh, have been wildly successful. So we talk about how that success affects the way that you write afterwards. She's also known for her one-sitting reads because they're almost compulsively addictive. Uh, So we, we, we chat about the perfect art to the twist and we learn about when she starts to know who's done the murder right at the start. It's usually about three quarters through I start to have a favorite ending Um, but I will say for this one the ending I changed the ending after the first draft was written. I felt it wasn't um the best ending so when I write the first one through I'm trying to figure out the story figure out who everybody is um, and I get all that and then I step back from it and I look and I see is that the very best ending for it and the way I write is like I said there's many options so then I look at which one's the best amount of tension like what how can I ratchet up the tension the most it's a really thoughtful and insightful one this week don't go anywhere Shari LaPena is on the way in this week's writer's routine yes hello welcome along my name's Dan Simpson this is writer's routine the show where we take a sneak peek through the working day of a successful author Uh, Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you've found time in the last few days to get some words down on the page, however you're doing that. I spoke to a children's author, by the way, not for this show, but for something else, who who writes in 500-word chunks on their phone. I find that quite um, a bafflingly modern way of telling your stories, but I guess it's helpful, isn't it? Uh, Wherever you've got a chance to get your story down on, on paper, you can, through like a massive computer that's just sat in your pocket I I just it kind of bewildered me so much I thought I needed to tell you about it anyway I hope that you've managed to write over the last few days if you do need some some prodding and poking with advice and tips I'm bringing you uh, motivational quotes from all our best authors every single day uh, over on our Twitter page which you can follow at writers pod make sure you say hello through there this week we're chatting to the crime and psychological thriller author Shari LaPena uh, her fourth book is out right now it's called someone we know It's all about a teenager's quest for Wi-Fi, which leads to some pretty devastating consequences. Uh, There's forgery, there's fake letters in there, uh, and there's a whole lot of deadly crime. Now, Shari's a strange one in that she intentionally writes not having a clue what the ending is. 
and I find that amazing, especially in crime and thriller, uh, doing all this plotting, thoroughly working through every inch, every corner and crevice of your story without knowing how it's going to end, it's pretty fascinating to me. Instead, what she does is she gives herself all the possible options, she writes every thread of every possible murderer uh, conceivable, and then she figures it out along the way and then does some pretty extensive rewriting, it turns out. Also, her first book was has been optioned for the telly, so we find out if that's at all affected the way that she's written her last three novels. And also, I spoke just a second ago about how she doesn't really plan at all. Not just that, she also finds planning absurdly baffling. We learn more about that in just a sec too. You can also get a top writing tip from a rom-com and memoir writer. That's on the way after we dive into it with Shari Lapena talking about her brand new book, Someone We Know. And we dive into it as always with what she sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. So I have a very small rickety desk in my bedroom window and uh, I've got a, a very nice office chair and then right beside me on my right hand side I have a second office chair for my cat because when I first got my um, office chair she would always get in it and we had a tussle and so I had to buy a second chair for her to sit on so that she'd be happy. Very quickly, w- describe to me the cat if you can. Oh she's lovely, she looks a lot like Larry the number 10 Downing Street cat. She's a tabby with a white front. What's her name? Poppy. Poppy. Um, How did you know what kind of chair she would be interested in when you... Well, basically, I gave her the chair that she liked, and then I went out and bought myself another chair that's almost identical. So you're there um, with with your rickety chair. You've got Poppy next to you. Talk to me about what you can see all around you. Is is there any artwork on the walls? No, I do not like any um, distraction. So my desk is completely clear with nothing on it except my laptop. I like a clear surface. I like a clean house to write in. I don't always get that, but I'm someone who's very distracted by visual clutter. So I keep the the blinds closed. I'm in front of a window, but the blinds are closed. And um, I try to shut out all distractions. So I've got this um, do not disturb sign from uh, a hotel in Turkey that I a really nice one with a nice tassel on it. I'll put that on. Um, I just, I like to write when no one's home, when I'm the only one home. And that's a challenge lately because it's summer and everybody's home. Uh, and I just, I like to have coffee. I drink a lot of decaffeinated coffee and I like dark chocolate. So I do snack on dark chocolate when I'm writing. You mentioned that you're not a massive fan of, you get easily distracted, sorry, by yeah. visual things taking your attention. What about if it's plot focused if I were to walk into your writing space right now mm-hmm. would I get any clue as to what you were working on are is there a big whiteboard have you got post-it mm-hmm. notes have you got maybe mm-hmm. just clues nothing. nothing at all I don't have a murder wall I don't have post-it notes I don't have a chart I have a completely clean desk with just my laptop I have no music no sound and I just go into my head and I have on my computer I have my draft file which I'm writing on I have my notes file where I have put down little ideas and I have my outtakes file for you know stuff that I write that I don't like and I take it out and I stick it in that file in case I want to bring it back and I have my research file open on my laptop and that's it I have nothing on my desk except my coffee cup well, that reminds me, actually, I had an email in from a listener who wanted to hear more about tech specifics. So I, I don't want to get too bogged down in this, uh-huh. um, but are you, what are you writing on? Is it simply Word? Yeah, I just read in Word. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Because I, I, 
it's easy for me. I'm, I'm, I'm not very good at technology, and I have a lot of trouble with any new technology. It's taken me a while to get used to Instagram and all that stuff. But my husband is an IT guy, so he, he helps me every time the printer breaks down. I can never send anything to the printer successfully. I, I don't know why. I just... I don't think anyone ever has. No. <laughs> How much of your work is ever done on pencil and paper? Perhaps if you're taking ideas down, is, is there a notebook somewhere? I do carry a notebook all the time in my purse. If I'm out, if I get ideas, I will sort of jot down things, but not very often. Almost all my work is done sitting in front of the computer. That's when I start to think. Most of the time during my day when I'm not writing, it's not even in my head. But when I, I, I guess I've conditioned myself after all these years to, as soon as I sit down in front of the computer and I open the file, I'm ready to go. Well, let's talk about that day then, Shari. Um, the show is called Writer's Routine. Mm-hmm. I'd like you to talk me through yours, if you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed on a day when you are sitting down to write, how does it look? Okay. So I get up about 7.30 and then once everybody's gone out of the house, if it's a school day or if it's the summer and they're out there just sleeping in, I like that because it's just me. My husband goes off to work. He either goes out to the office or he he works in the basement and then it's quiet, which I love. So I always work in the morning because I'm freshest in the morning. It's also the quietest for me. And I get my coffee. I have my breakfast and I get my coffee. And I usually answer my immediately important emails. So I usually have a few that I need to answer. And then by 9.30, I'm good to go. And I, I just pull up my file. And I've usually left it the day before, I've, I've left it knowing what my next scene is going to be, like who's going to be in that scene at least or where it's going to be. Not necessarily what will happen in the scene, but I know where I'm going to start. And then I go back and I reread what I've done the day before and I revise it a little bit just to get back into the mood. And then by 10 o'clock, usually I'm starting and I always write uh, 1,500 words a day. That's my daily quota. And some days I do it quite quickly, and some days it takes four or five hours. It depends on the day. But typically within four hours, I'll get my day's writing done. And then I'll, I'll put that aside. And then the afternoon, I'll spend on various administrative things I need to do, like interviews or questions that people send or, you know, e- you know fan mail, things like that. That's my ideal writing day. You've already slightly answered this earlier, but I just thought maybe we'd work through it. Uh, When you've done your writing for the day, when you've answered your the the reams of fan mail, Mm -hmm. um, does the story ever come back into your mind? Perhaps are you mulling things over through the night when you're off with your husband and your family doing other things? Typically, no. Like I'm I'm someone who's very focused, and I don't tend to think about my book when I'm doing other things, but. When I do want to think about stuff after I've written for the day, I will lie down on my bed and, you know, just think about what might happen the next day. And sometimes I fall asleep and I find that it looks like napping, but I I treat it as creative time. Um, But typically I don't think about it when I'm out and about. I'm very trained now to think about the book when I'm on the keys. And when you are on the keys, you've already said it's kind of between two and four hours of writing. I'd say four most days. Yeah. Is it broken up at all? I mean, you've already slightly mentioned the dark chocolate and the coffee, but will you have a break here and there just to to idly scan through the internet? How does that work? No, I don't take a break. I I have my coffee and my chocolate while I'm working. And um, I don't really take breaks. I find I, I hate having interruptions. So... I find if I have one interruption, I'm good. Two is annoying. Three, it really interferes with my thought processes. So I tend to not answer the phone unless I know it's my agent or someone. So if people call just to chat, 
people still call me just to chat in the morning, even though they know I work in the morning. So I don't pick it up. I'll call back later because I, I really don't want to spend an hour during my prime writing time just chatting when that could be done anytime. So, um, yeah, I don't like distractions and I don't like interruptions, but sometimes it quite hap- often happens with writers where you'll get an email that, you know, they need something, they need, you know, France needs something or I need to answer an email and I'll, I'll stop and I'll do that, but then I go back to it. I'm getting better at getting back on track after interruptions now. I know there are some writers who, if they're having a good day, they'll keep going. I have done 2000, but it's unusual for me. Like I usually, I do my, I'm very ordered. I'm very orderly. I like to do my 1500 words a day because if I do 2000, then I might start to think, oh, I should do 2000 every day. And then you start to write crap. Like, you know, I'm very comfortable writing and fixing 1500 words a day. That's just, just a comfortable, and that's what I need to do to get a book done in four or five months so that I can get it out in a year. It it sounds, um, like the routine is is slightly learned now. I mean, you're four books in. You know that 1,500 words is a good amount for you. Yeah. You know that you need to start working in the morning. That's when you work best. Yeah. How long has it taken you to fine-tune the way that you work every day? Well, I started out writing during my first child's naps 20 years ago. So I would only write for two hours in the afternoon when he was napping. And then as the kids got older and they went out to school, I had a longer day. And I that's when I discovered that I'm best writing in the morning. And I could write four or five hours. And then I just have gotten into a, a routine now, probably because of the book a year contract situation. So before I started writing thrillers, I wrote literary novels. And I would spend three or four years on those. Because they, they didn't have to be in a hurry. And I didn't have a publisher for a long time. So I took my time. And I had young kids, it was harder. But now my kids are grown up, and I have more time, but I have a a deadline of one year for a book. So that's taught me to be very disciplined about how much I get done in a day. There is a hard deadline. So that's very motivating. If we may, let's talk about the routine of the year then. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've said you're, you're into this, I need to get a book done a year kind of yeah. thing. Can you talk me through... January through January in one year of you yeah. having an idea for a story, getting it down, sending it off to your, your agent and your publisher and, and all that comes with that. Okay, so if I do that, I have to start my year in May because that's when I start a new book. So at the beginning of May, I will have finished the book for that's coming out in July. So every year I have a book out in the end of July. So it's all completely done by the 1st of May. And then I, which is seen, it sounds like quite a tight turnaround. It's a very tight turnaround. It's a very tight turnaround. So is that as in you finished it? Is in there is no chance this is changing at all. Yeah, it's that's, been sent that's to printing. The copy editing's done. The page proofs are done. I don't have to look at that book anymore. So I'm free to start a new one. So when the page proofs are done and that book goes to print, then the next day I start on my new book. Will Will you already have the idea for that book? Yes, because I will during the copy editing and proof. Um, stages where I'm not actually writing the other book, I've got time to think of the new idea. So I better have an idea by May 1. And I know this new book that I'm writing now, I'm halfway through the first draft, which is sort of where I need to be before I go on tour to promote the one that comes out in July. Um, So I start the new book in May. So I started this one, I remember, May 16th. And I'm about 45,000 words into the draft of thriller number five just a, a peek behind the curtain it is july the 24th today yeah so, tomorrow it's out so 
so tomorrow, yeah, you've got the book out. So you've written 45,000 words in little under two months, little over two months. Yeah, pretty much. And then I take off some time now because the book's out. So I spend July coming to England and touring and promoting the book. And there's a lot of um, article writing and question answering around that when I'm at home and radio tours from home. And then when I get home, I've got a week or so and then I'm doing a U.S. tour and then I'm home for a few days Then I'm doing all this Canadian promotion, lots of TV and, and radio and so on. So it's very, that's when it gets distracting. So that's when I can't write every day and it, it interrupts me. But then I go back and I try and get a week done and then I take a week off. That's what I find hard is the interruptions like that. It takes me a while to get back into the book. Very quickly, you're over in the UK now and <clears> you just said you'll be off uh, across the US later mm-hmm. on in the year. Yeah. Are you finding time and space to carve out little windows to get those 1500 words down? Or are you just no. giving it a break? I can only work when I'm on my rickety desk. Yeah, I, I can only work when I'm at home. I never try to work. I never try to write when I'm touring. I will get um, sent questions to do for various uh, publications that I can work on anywhere. But I can't write my book when I'm traveling. And that I do a lot of traveling. So I will go home at the end of this and I'll do my U.S. tour and so on just to get back to how the schedule works. And then I try and have my first draft done by the end of September. And then I'm going to bloody Scotland. And then I will submit my book to my two editors. And then they get it back to me. And then I have about four months of heavy, heavy reworking, rewriting, because I don't plan. So I do a lot of rewriting. And then, so I, I do that over the winter. And then I travel. So I have, I have all these travel breaks. But basically, I have to get the book all done, you know, in April, so that I can start again in May. So that's how my, my year goes. So when I start a book, I always start from an idea, like a basic premise. And I'll have an idea for a couple of characters, but I won't really know much about them. And then I will just, I just start. Like as long as I have an idea for a couple of characters and a premise that I like, then I just start writing. I know it sounds weird, but I just, they kind of figure it out as they go along. Well, let's talk about that initial idea then. So the new book is Someone We Know. Mm-hmm. Um, talk me through the first idea that you had for this story. How did it present itself into your mind? Okay, so this one came to me. I was reading, I saw something on the internet about a teenage boy, it was in the U.S., who his parents had cut off his Wi-Fi, and he um, broke into a neighbor's house in the middle of the night to steal their Wi-Fi, to use their Wi-Fi. And you know how teenage boys are. They want their Wi-Fi, and you try and cut it off, and they'll find ways. Uh, There's lots of sneaky ways teenagers will get their Wi-Fi, I know. Um, So I thought, that's really interesting, and what would happen if he also had some pretty good hacking skills and he could get into people's computers and sort of see their secrets and then I thought what would happen if the mother found out and she would be absolutely mortified and then I had her send anonymous apology letters to various people who'd been broken into so that all these people in the neighborhood know that they've been broken into and possibly hacked and they've got these secrets they don't want known so they're all nervous and uh, so that was what I started with and I knew I would have to have a murder so I I came up with a dead body idea and it all took off from there. Well, that interests me that you knew you had to come up with a murder. That's the genre you're working in. Yeah, I have in. to have That's a murder. That's kind of the contract yeah, that yeah. you've got. Um, how did you do that without it feeling forced and, uh, you know, kind of thrown in there? You've got this idea for the hacking and then mm-hmm. you sit down and think, I need a dead body. Mm-hmm. How did you come up with that? What did you do to, to force that to happen? I don't know. I just 
thought of a dead body. I don't know where these ideas come from. I just thought, ooh, um, missing woman in the, in the neighborhood. And I just, I, I can't even tell you how she's found because it's too far into the book and it will spoil it. Um, but I can tell you that in the prologue, you see this woman violently murdered. And it's in a first person voice, but it's not identified. So all through the book, you can go back, you know, as your as your um, ideas change about who the murderer might be, you can go back, and it could work for any of them. So we see the murder, but we don't know, excuse me, we don't know who did it. And then you see the husband go and report her missing. So your first, because of the way the husband is, your first suspicion is that perhaps the husband did it, and he's reporting the wife missing to cover his tracks. So it goes from there. As a writer, when you've got this initial idea about the hacking and the murder, Mm -hmm. then what did you do? I mean, it sounds to me like your writing style is, as you say, that's all you need. You just need the idea and a couple of characters, then you'll sit down and crack it out. But how much brainstorming was there involved in this idea? How long did it take you before you actually started working on it by the time you had the idea? I I start that day like I... I, um I don't really know how to explain how this happens, but if, if someone gives me... It's like if you start with a writing prompt. If someone says, here's your writing prompt. Uh, man walks into corner store to buy cigarettes. I can sit down with that and make up a story from that quite readily. Like, I, I just need the idea. I will make up something. You know, I'll just start to think, is he going to steal something? Is he... You know, does he recognize someone? I'll just go in a bunch of different directions. So what else did you know about the story then before you started to write? Um, uh, Aside from that initial idea, how much did you know? Did you know the ending? Did you know the middle? Did you know were there plot points uh, across it? I didn't know anything except that there would probably be lots of couples who, who... Like, I didn't even know that the dead woman would be sort of a femme fatale. I didn't realize that she would be the, the, dis, the disruptor in that whole community. I mean, when I started, I thought maybe the husband did kill her. Um, but then I knew I would have to have red herrings. All I knew was I would have to have lots of characters who might have done it. And that they would all have to... We would have to be suspicious of more than one person. We would have to... This one gets very twisty and everyone suspects everybody else. So as the murder um, investigation happens everybody in the neighborhood gets drawn into the investigation and they all start to suspect their spouses their neighbors their friends everyone's a suspect in this one sounds like it it might be must be quite an organic way to put in those red herrings because you're not writing a, a someone that deliberately hasn't done it you're writing many options for yourself to try and figure out who has done it that's exactly it so i describe it as um basically juggling four or five strands at once and all of them could be the true strand but they could all be red herrings and I try and build the case for and against for each person all the way through so that you're thinking oh he did it and then you think oh maybe he didn't do it and then someone else and I keep keep them all going so that when I get to the end I have to choose one and the and that's how I do it can we talk about the process of you choosing Mm -hmm. at what point in the writing of this story someone we know was it made clear to you, this is the person that did it? It's usually about three quarters through, I start to have a favorite ending. Um, but I will say for this one, the ending, I changed the ending after the first draft was written. Why is that? I felt it wasn't um, the best ending. So when I write the first one through, I'm trying to figure out the story, figure out who everybody is. Um, 
And I get all that. And then I step back from it and I look and I see, is that the very best ending for it? And the way I write is, like I said, there's many options. So then I look at which one's the best amount of tension. Like what, how can I ratchet up the tension the most? Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. We'll get more with Shari in just a sec. And we'll also talk about how much say her editor has into the precise nature of all her characters and why she thinks that's an incredibly good thing to have outside eyes on the work. First, um, if you are from overseas, that's not in the UK, if you're from overseas and you're waiting on your your Patreon rewards, uh, I've stuck them in the post, uh, paid, what, what can only be described, by the way, as an absurd charge for sending little more than a letter, uh, just a hundred miles or so. Anyway, I'm not going to get into that gripe with Royal Mail right here. I've stuck it in the post. Uh, They are on the way. If you're here in the UK and you're waiting on them, you should already have them by now. If you've not, uh, send a message to me over at writersroutine at gmail.com. If you are outside of the UK, they are on the way. They will be with you shortly. If you'd like some rewards, some Writer's Routine merchandise, and to support the show to make sure that we carry on giving you episodes as often as we can, please do pledge and support the show over at patreon.com forward slash writer's routine. Just a couple of dollars a month goes an incredibly long way to help us making as many episodes as we can. It helps me dedicate more time to the show. It lets us bring them to you uh, as frequently as really possible. And it also just helps me be nice and buy a coffee for whoever's taken the time to sit down, chat with me and share their writing tips with you. By supporting us at Patreon, uh, you can get yourself a badge, you can get bookmarks, you can also send me questions to ask authors on your behalf and then I will make you uh, specific episodes with just those answers in it that only get shown to you and every other backer at that level. I know it can be an ask to say thanks to podcasts uh, for putting in the work to help you out. So I appreciate if, if you can't do it right now, but if you can find a way to help support the show, 
please do just pledge a couple of dollars a month whatever you fancy i really appreciate anything you can do that over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine let's get back into it then with this week's guest shari la pena and her writing routine now her first book the couple next door it was a global bestseller it was the best-selling fiction title in the uk i think in 2017 it's just been optioned for telly so we'll talk about how having that incredible success for your debut genre novel, how that affects the way that you tell stories afterwards. I wonder if it's a good or bad thing most of the time. This is her fourth novel. It's called Someone We Know. It's all about a mysterious son who keeps breaking into neighbours' houses, which leads to even stranger things happening. Now, in this part, uh, we talk about characterization, Also, why she finds planning the most absurd thing about writing. And actually, we start talking more about that because when she begins her story, she gets most of the way through without knowing a clue about who has actually done it. Instead, she's laying the seeds of believability, I guess. So anyone, in theory, could have committed the crime. So we pick things up talking about that and when she actually discovers who did it. The way I write, and I've, I've looked at this and it's, it's true for all my books, um, except for maybe an unwanted guest where, you know, I'm, the suspects are dropping off as I go along and there's, well, there's still two or three left that it could have been. Um, one just seems the most right at the end. But then, as I said, the way it's written, it can be changed because everyone's set up as a possible killer. Um, I don't really know how to describe I, I'm actually amazed at how I do it because they are very twisty and I, and I don't plan any of the twists. But And unfortunately, we can't talk about the twists and, and what they are, but I'm often surprised by the twists that happen. Well, let's try and unpack that moment then. If you, I mean, your, your books, you know, that they're known for... Uh, being one sitting reads quite mm-hmm. often they're full of these twists full of these turns if you don't know i just find it i'm trying to unpack it myself really mm-hmm. it's just hard to believe that you're not that analytical in the way that you have these twists you know um because they are so well known and s- they seem so sculpted and crafted for them to happen organically really is quite something at what moment when you're writing does a twist uh, appear to you at the moment of the twist so it will it will just happen and there's a few twists and some we know I can't talk about when something happens and I go oh and and then it takes me and I love it but kind of like a light bulb moment yeah but I mean I know people everyone I haven't even explained this everyone finds it really hard to understand how I do this but it's no different from if like if you were to sit down with a with a page and try and chart out every chapter and what happens and all the twists. I can't do that. I don't think that way. But everyone seems to think it's easier or more believable that you can plan a story with your conscious brain and have a twist. How is that any different than just having it come from the unconscious brain? It has to come from your idea bank of the unconscious brain at some point anyway. I think some people are just more, their brain is more likely to think of it in a conscious way and plan it out or it just comes in more unconsciously but it's all coming from your brain so it's just a question of when it comes so to me the weird thing is people who can 
start with an idea of a boy breaking into a house and know who did it at the end. Because how do you know who your characters even are if you haven't explored them? So if you can explore your characters in, you know, in the front of your brain and, and write them down and come up with the ending, like, I, I don't know how people can do that. That raises two points. Uh, firstly, I guess the last bit of analysis on the twist. What, what, what for you, what makes a good twist? Why do you think that people have described your stories as these one sitting reads? So uh, the idea of a twist is uh, it has to be believable. It, has, it can't be something out of left field where you think, oh, that I'm not buying that. So you have to set it up so you've got all the underpinnings there that it's a believable twist. But at the same time, it has to be unexpected. So there's a dynamic there. So you want to ha- have all the, um, the, the underpinnings there, but you have to distract your reader so they don't see you setting up those foundations so that when it happens, they go, oh, of course. Why didn't I see that? They have to believe it, but not see it. And this is going on all the time for you without you even knowing about it. Yeah. That's what's interesting. That's what, uh, you know, because they do they do seem crafted. So it's amazing that they are so organic. The thing is, I do go back and rewrite, but those basic twists are there in the first draft. So when you go back and rewrite, knowing the twists that are coming, yeah, how much are you then weaving deliberate uh, misdirections into your story? There's there's more of that then. So so we will um, tighten it. Might take out a character or two. Like I'm trying to think of of someone we know what we did. Um, I took out a whole character line because it, I decided that one wasn't working. I, I so I start. It's harder to do it this way. I think you do a first draft and then there's a lot more rewriting. So I had a character who was the employer of the woman who disappeared. And I had developed that one through as a possible uh, lead. And it it just didn't go anywhere. So I could just take that strand completely out. Because that one petered out on me. But there were other people who came alive and had all sorts of great backstories and... Um, started to interact with other characters in a really interesting way. So, like, I just took that whole character out. Um, Why do you think it petered out very quickly? Just because you weren't as inspired by this character? It just wasn't going anywhere. It wasn't very interesting. Whereas other characters became very interesting to me. And I liked the way they were interacting with their spouses and their neighbors. And that's just the way it works for me. So, um, some things develop and some don't and I just have to be really open to it and go where it takes me and trust that it's going to be it's all going to come together so far it always has the, the answer to this this question rather might be utter tripe but go with it for a second you were talking about ideas in your unconscious brain earlier mm-hmm. how much of your story do you think is written before you're even aware of it well none of it I, I know I think it it all happens as it happens so every day that that I write, it's a little, it's moved forward a little bit more, and I know more than I did the day before. I know it sounds crazy, but it's sort of an incremental um, moving forward of the story. But then what can't be organic about it? I mean, you're 45,000 words through mm-hmm. a story now. You know that it needs to be done in some form by September. Mm-hmm. Um, so then it'll get to a point, I don't know, 70, 80,000 words into it, where you think, I need to tie all this together now. Yeah, actually, I'm at that point now where I've done exactly half. And 
I'm very happy with the first half, but I really don't know where I'm going to go with, I and mean, I've got my characters, but I don't really know where it's going to go from here. But I have confidence that I will come up with lots of different ways that it might go. When I started this one, it was chapter one, and I hadn't written the prologue with the dead body and the, um, the husband until I'd written the first chapter because I wanted to get into the boy because I started with that idea and I didn't have the idea for the dead wife until I'd written the first chapter about the boy. Normally I write chronologically straight through, but I think in this instance I put a prologue in. So I started just with the mom trying to wake the boy up because that's easy for me because I'm always trying to wake up my teenage son and I can't get him up. So I just started with her how frustrated she was and she goes up and she slams it's two in the afternoon. She can't get him out of bed and she's frustrated with him. And then she just happens to see a text. So like when I started, I, I remember thinking, well, how's she going to find out that he's done this? And I thought somebody could, you know, maybe a neighbor calls saying she'd seen him. But then I just thought she's up there. He's got his phone on his bedside table. She sees a text come in. Oh, did you break in anywhere last night? She's like, oh, and then there's a big family powwow with the dad. And it's like, oh, my God, we've got a teenage boy who's breaking into houses. And it, it just took on from there. Are there any other tricks to getting to know your characters aside from simply writing them on the page? I think the trick that I use that I find works is I put my characters into a really difficult situation right off the get-go. So I always start with conflict. So I have this boy who won't wake up. She can't get him up. She sees the the text. And then right away, I've got a conflict between the mother and the son. The dad comes in and right away, I've got a, does, how much is the mom going to tell the dad? Like, she's not sure. But then they tell the dad everything. And the dad's taking one position on it. He thinks, well, you can't apologize. The mother wants him to apologize in person. And the dad's saying, well, you can't apologize in person. He's broken the law. He's done break and enter. He's broken into computers, which is very serious. If you want your kid to go to jail, sure, apologize, but you can't apologize. So then right away she thinks, well, I'm going to send some, you know, anonymous letters. But she doesn't tell the husband. So by chapter one, I think, we've got a family that's in turmoil. The wife's secretly decided she's going to send an anonymous letter, or a few of them. And the boy's in trouble. And he's keeping the secret of just how much breaking in he's done. He's decided he's going to lie about how much. She's going to lie about the letters. The husband's really upset. And that's all in the first chapter. And then I went back and I put the prologue where the woman is beaten to death by, it could be anyone. And then the husband who goes in to report his wife missing. And then the very, I think the next chapter, the idea is that, well, of course he's reported her missing. Maybe he killed her and he has to report her missing. Or maybe reported her missing because someone else killed her. We don't know. And it just goes on from there. I've got already got, you know, the woman who's um, been murdered. So she's going to be interesting. And then I've got the husband who may or may not have killed her. And then I've got this three people in this family already in a, in a turmoil. And I've got enough to get going. And then I people it with friends and neighbors and people they work with and other people who've met this woman. And it grows from there. Let's talk about the friends and neighbors for a second. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're four books into a specific genre now. Mm -hmm. So you kind of know what works, what they need to have. Yeah. Uh, how much did you think about that when you're imagining the other characters that live on, that live in this neighborhood and down this street? Uh, mm -hmm. Do you think, well, this couple needs to be that type of couple? These guys need to be like that. How much are you... Uh, orchestrating like classic thriller tropes in your characters like that? 
I actually, I see where the story goes with them. So I knew, so my main character is Olivia. She's middle-aged. She's got a boy who's 15. Um, so she has to have a friend with a boy roughly the same age. So I knew automatically I would have a friend. She would have to have someone to have coffee with and confess her concerns. And then I thought it would be good if this woman also had a boy with different problems. So, so she's worried about drinking. Her kid's a drinker. Um, and then after that, I I didn't really um, think about it too much. Like both of those women had husbands. And then there was, I needed to have another woman. So I invented another woman who lived next door to the, the woman who'd been killed. And then I threw in a busybody. And um, I remember my editors wanted me to change her family situation. I think they wanted her to be a widow, which worked better than her having a family. Um, yeah, so I did. I don't actually think about it that much. My editors do afterwards. We think, well, what would be better here? This person, you know, should they have a boy or a girl? Uh, why child? would that matter? And then, and then, why why would your editor <clears throat> want you to make someone a widow? How is that affecting the story? Oh, I I can't really say because it would give something away. Um, yeah, I can't really say. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. fine. Um, is it your first story that's been optioned for films? Is yes, that right? for TV. Yeah, for TV. Sorry, mm-hmm. how much does that change the way you tell stories? Knowing that there's a huge readership and potentially a massive viewership, uh, change the way that you write and come up with ideas for these kind of things. I don't think it really did. So the couple next door um, was has been a hugely successful book for me. Um, and I wrote that one on my own with no one, you know, no input from anyone. And I wrote it really fast. And I just had a ball with it. So I, I use that. I approach all my books that way because I want them to be like that. My second book, I found a challenge because I had that second book, that difficult second book syndrome where um, you have a hard deadline and lots of attention and lots of distraction with the travel and so on. And I found that one hard to get started on and hard to get into. But once I got into it, I just followed my natural instincts. Um, I, it hasn't changed how I approach it. I approach all my thrillers the same way because now I find after four of them, that's what's working for me. I did try to plan <laughs> because when I got my contract, the agent and all of the editors, they all would prefer a synopsis, an outline, and a plan. But I swear to God, I can't think of anything. Like, that. someone we know, it's a very twisty book. But I, if I sat down... And I did sit. I did try. I try every time, and I can't. Where well, I actually don't try anymore. But if I were to try, I did for the first three because unwanted guest was tricky because it was a puzzle mystery. But for this one, I didn't even try to plan it out. But if I did, I would write, you know, um, boy breaks into houses. But how I would get from there to the ending that I came up with, with all those twists, without the characters and things happening incrementally along the way, I can't see how people do it. I don't know how people plan. Like, how do you, how do you, without it happening incrementally, I, I don't know how you do that. And that is it for this week's Writer's Routine. Thank you so much to Shari uh, for spending the time in her whirlwind year, uh, her quick stint outside of Canada to chat to me all about the book. It's called Someone We Know, and you can pick it up right now. You can also get her three stories that she's written before, The Incredibly Successful The Couple Next Door. There's also A Stranger in the House and An Unwanted Guest. 
Uh, if you've enjoyed the show and if you've got just a few seconds, please do leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts if that's how you are listening. Also, make sure that you give us a follow over on Twitter. It's at WritersPod. We are Writers Routine on Instagram. And you can get daily motivational quotes, tips and tricks to help with your day of writing. Also, get in contact with us over at WritersRoutine.com if you've got anything that you'd like to add, really. Uh, and if you want some Writers Routine merch, if you want to support the show, please do so. Pledge just a couple of quid, a few dollars a month over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. It lets us bring you episodes as quickly as we can. Uh, hopefully we've got one next week. I've got irons in the fires with a few authors here and there. So fingers crossed we'll see each other again next Friday here on Writers Routine. <laughs> Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.